Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report. I am your host, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros. Um, I just want to remind you that our sponsors today and, as always, are Fan Essentials. Use promo code 94FEET at checkout for 30% off your first subscription. And by Daily Fantasy Nerd. If you check out the links in some of our episode descriptions um, and on Twitter, you can get some great Daily Fantasy tools as well. We have some really exciting and big changes um, happening to the show um, starting from this episode onward. Um, We've decided to change the structure of the show due to the fact that we want to make it more um, about the name, the 94 Feet Report. So we now have divided our segments. We'll have six segments every show, and each segment will essentially be another step in covering the 94 feet of the NBA court. So um, as you'll see when we start off, with the different segments, you'll see the names and you know how they explain a different part of the basketball court, and we'll be proceeding from one end of the on, one end of the court to the other to cover all 94 feet, essentially meaning that we'll also be covering the entire NBA in a certain structure. Um, so, with that being said, let's get into our first uh, segment. All right, so this segment is the baseline, and essentially what the baseline is going to be is it's going to be a recap of the past week. Um, we've done this before. It'll be like you know the top performers of the week, the top teams, the top stories, etc. Um, so the baseline every week will be kind of a summary of the past week. So let's dive into it. In the past week of the NBA, let's start off with some of the top teams, um, or basically the hottest teams in the league so far um, in the past week. Um, I want to talk about the Washington Wizards because um, you know they've been struggling a lot to start the season, but they've had four straight wins now, including a very impressive win um, versus the Clippers. Um, Bradley Beal put up 41 points, and he's. Um, I saw on Twitter that he's the first Wizards player since Gilbert Arenas to put up uh, at least two 40-point games in a season. So Beal stepping up his play. Wall has been uh, elite so far this season. Beal has as well. Um, so interesting with you know with four straight wins, you know. One has to ask, you know, are the Wizards finally turning it around? I think they're only a game out of the playoffs, and that, that can change. By the end of this week, they could be the sixth seed because of how, you know, weak the Eastern Conference is, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but the Wizards are one of the hottest teams in the league. They've had um, all their wins have been at home, and most of them were against pretty bad teams, but the win against the Clippers was very impressive, uh, in my opinion. The next team I want to talk about, I mean, how can you not talk about the Rockets if you're talking about hot teams? They've now won 10 straight games. Um, and uh, it looked like their winning streak was going to come to an end um, Saturday night against the Timberwolves when they were down um, by 13 with two minutes to go and somehow tied the game and then won it in overtime pretty easily. Um, 
does it speak more about the Rockets or the Wolves that, you know, the Rockets won that game? Um, people would argue that uh, it was really spoke more about the Wolves and their still and their inability to, to close out games. Um, and it looked like the Wolves had reached a turning point, but they just had another terrible loss um, to the Rockets on Saturday. But that doesn't take away from the rest of the Rockets' winning streak. It's now 10 straight. They actually haven't lost in December yet. So um, I think the Rockets, are, it's pretty clear the Rockets are the hottest team in the league, but they're not the only team in the league with a winning streak. But the Rockets do have the longest one, right, currently ongoing, and it's been pretty impressive. And then some other three, three teams I want to talk about, the Utah Jazz, the Golden State Warriors, and the San Antonio Spurs all have uh, four-game winning streaks. Um, the Warriors, uh, I believe, will be on pace if they can win their next couple games to um, ha- set the mark for the second hottest uh, or second best start to a season um, after their start last season when they were undefeated after, I think, 29 games. Um, the Jazz have looked really impressive and are all the way up to the fifth seed in the Western Conference. And now with the news that Blake Griffin will be out three to six weeks, the Jazz are only two games behind the Clippers in the conference. So you never know by by the end of December, the Jazz could be the fourth seed or maybe even the third seed because they've been playing so well using that great defense. And the Spurs just keep on winning. They just had that great um, ceremony for Tim Duncan's uh, jersey retirement. Um, they're using great defense and a great road uh, record to, you know, keep winning games. And they're only a game and a half behind the Warriors. So, you know, if you think the Warriors are just completely dominating, the Spurs are right behind them. So those are the, the teams that, you know, the top teams of the week, the hottest teams in the NBA right now. Uh, let's move to performers of the week. There really aren't many. Um, I want to mention James Harden because in his past five games, 25 points per game, 13 assists per game, 9.6 rebounds per game. Um, he was a rebound away uh, in that game against the Timberwolves from having three straight triple doubles. Um, and his passing after a little bit of a dip is now kicked back up to 13 assists per game in the past five games. And the Rockets have been winning, so uh, he's a performer of the week. And then Russ, you have to mention the, the Westbrook 26-point, 22-assist, 11-rebound game against the Suns and had one of the plays of the year uh, when he just danced around the entire Suns lineup for to dish it to Stephen Adams for um, the dunk. Besides that, there really aren't any notable performers who really kept it up going the entire week. Um, so in terms of that, but in, in other weeks, we'll definitely have more performers of the week as we have had in the past. And finally, to conclude the baseline for this week's episode, I want to talk about some cold teams, um, and they're both from the Eastern Conference, and they're both teams that, you know, it's a pretty divided expectations going into the season. Um, let's start off with the Chicago Bulls, because they now have three straight losses, and two of them were just terrible blowouts to the Bucks on a back-to-back, one in Chicago and one in Milwaukee. Um, the Bulls look like kind of exactly what a lot of people predict them to be, kind of a, around 500, lack of three-point shooting, um, really going to kill them, um, and their defense has been horrible against the Bucks, and so that that's you know some of the concerning signs about the Bulls that people thought they would have going into the season are now coming you know to reality. And the Knicks also have three straight losses, and one was versus the Suns, which wasn't a terrible loss, um, but the loss against the Nuggets when Carmelo said before the game that it was essentially a must-win game, and they went out and lost by like 14 um, to the Nuggets is really bad. Uh, the Knicks are still a game over 500, but they haven't had a hard schedule, um, and they've been losing to some pretty bad teams, and their defense has been atrocious. Um, so. Again, a Knicks, the Knicks, a team where, you know, kind of half the people thought they would be a playoff team, the other half thought they would miss the playoffs altogether. So kind of like the Bulls, pretty divided um, kind of expectations going into the season. But nonetheless, both the Bulls and the Knicks are struggling. We'll see if they can turn it around this week, heading into the big Christmas Day games that they have. 
with that being said, that's going to conclude the baseline for this week again. It'll be mostly a kind of a short and, short and sweet summary of the last week in the NBA. Um, you know, talking about top teams, performers, storylines, etc. You know, it's kind of giving you the facts, giving you the reports, what you missed, etc. Not diving into the issues and giving a lot of opinions, of course. Um, but that's what the baseline will be uh, for the next, for the foreseeable future on the 94 Feet Report. Get ready, because it's time for the full court press. That's right, our next segment is called the Full Court Press. And essentially, the Full Court Press will be our main segment. Each episode of the 94 Feet Report will dive in, spend a little bit more time on this segment, and dive into an issue that we like to talk about on the 94 Feet Report. Um, and this week, we are happy to be joined by Alex Bropolis again to discuss um, the Full Court Press. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm good, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Glad to be back. So the Full Court Press, we decided to use it today to talk about... Um, the comparison between the Eastern and Western conferences, um, because it's been a story for you know probably the last decade how the, the conferences have been so you know you know not balanced and the West has always usually been seen as the better conference. Last year it looked like the Eastern Conference kind of took a step up, but it looks like they reverted back to you know kind of the West being better than the East. Um, heading into today, the recording of this episode, which is Monday, December nineteenth. Um, the record between the conferences, the West is eighty-four and seventy-one against the East. Um, so a pretty comfortable margin for the West right there. Um, and the question, and the thing is that when you look at the standings, um, you look at the standings between the conferences and I can tell you now the seventh seed Oklahoma city thunder would be the third seed in the Eastern conference. Right. So how, I mean, isn't that just incredible? I, I mean, know. the fact that the seventh seed in the West would be the third seed in the East or the fact, or is it the fact that the third seed in the East is only three games over 500? I know that is a bit concerning, though. And then if you look at some of the the third and fourth seeds in the West, they'd be vying for the number one, number two seeds in the East pretty comfortably. The Rockets are the third seed in the West, and they would literally basically be point one percentage points behind the Cavs for the number one seed. Right. They'd be what is it, half a game behind for the first seed? Yeah, and I think they'd be like statistically tied because they have two more wins. Exactly. Them, so. the, Clips are, the Clippers are the fourth in the West. They would be the second in the East. We said the Thunder were the seventh in the West. They would be the third in the East. Um, and the thing is, we can dive into these playoff matchups, go you know, 1v1, 2v2, 2v, like 3v3. Again, it's so early that these aren't obviously going to be the standings at the end of the year, most likely. But these might. there's a really good chance that these might be the playoff teams at the end of the year, at least in the West. I think the Western Conference playoff teams are, are already decided. Probably set, yeah. Even though, the, even though the Nuggets are only one game behind the Trailblazers, I think the Trailblazers will turn it around enough. But if you go 1v1, Cavs versus Warriors, I don't know. I mean, right now I'd pick the Warriors because they're playing better in the regular season. That's and, probably the only one where you'd, ha- you'd actually have a series. And it, just given their history and the Cavs, could, like, you know, they found ways to beat the Warriors, although they didn't have Durant last year. But I think you can make an argument that Cavs could beat the Warriors. Oh, yeah. The Cavs, yeah no, I think that you can clearly make the argument the Cavs would beat the Warriors. And I think it's one of the only ones that we'll see in, in matching up the, the playoff seeds that you would actually argue that the Eastern Conference would win. Because the two-seed Raptors, while they're playing great and actually have the best offensive rating in the league, which is surprising, I, don't, I would not pick them against the Spurs in a, in a seven-game series right now. No. I would uh, not, maybe no. if they actually played in the playoffs and the Spurs would be one out by then, maybe. But right now, 
the Spurs are rolling, and the Raptors are, are essentially rolling as well. But right now, I would not pick the Raptors to beat the Spurs. Again, I think it'd be close, but I'd pick the Spurs. So I guess you want to call it... I guess if we want to be nice to the Eastern Conference, we can call it 1-1 right now and give the Maybe. Cavs the series and give the West the Spurs. I don't know. That's me being generous because gonna, we're going to quickly see how it's going to turn all into the right. West's favor. The third seed, Rockets against the Celtics. That's pretty clear. The Rockets already beat the Celtics this year, and they're significantly better. Right. I mean, the Celtics are 15 and 12. The Rockets are 21 and 7. So, I mean, that's a significant difference. The Clippers, now, I mean, what, you have to consider the fact that they don't have Blake if they were to match up right now. But even then, the Clippers are the four seed against the Hornets. I'd still go with the Clippers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, now the only thing I'll say about the Eastern Conference is that it's it's essentially balanced in a way where it's, it's, there's two great teams, Cavs and Raptors, and then from three to basically eleven, it's they're bas- the teams are either two two or three games over to two or three games under. It's right. very the same. They have very similar records. So basically, by the end of this week, the Wizards could pro- could probably be the fourth seed. Right, and they're they're right now they're only two and a half games back of the Celtics, who are the third seed, which is incredible because is- the Wizards. Are the 11th seed right now. Exactly, the 11th seed, and have not been playing very good basketball. That, that's the only thing interesting about the East is that, like, the play. You know, it's so because the West, we kind of are like, you know what, these are going to be the playoff teams. But the East, it's like I have no idea because the Wizards are 11 right now, and they're only two games back from the third. So right. it's going to change so much. Um, and plus, I still think the Pistons and the Hawks and the Wizards will somehow squeak in. So that means they're going to have to replace three other teams, in my opinion. So um, we'll see about that. Uh, but keep it going. We already did Clippers against the Hornets, so that makes it 3-1 West or possibly 4-0 if you're... Dep- yeah, it's depending. Um, so 5, Utah Jazz against 5, Milwaukee Bucks. I'm going with the Jazz. Yes, Jazz. The Bucks do seem kind of like the Eastern Conference Jazz, though, in my opinion, but use defense to win games. But um, the Jazz are significantly better. The Grizzlies at 6 against the 6-seed Knicks. I'm picking the Grizzlies. Grizzlies. Again, now, yeah. I'm pretty sure the Knicks already beat the Grizzlies, but that was like early, really like the first week of the year. Um, but again, you never know when the Grizzlies are going to be healthy. So. Right. But uh, the seven seed Thunder, we already said, would be the third seed in the East anyway, so I'm going to comfortably pick them to beat the Pacers in a yeah. series. And I'm talking about one game because, you know, anyone could beat anyone on one night. But, but I'm talking seven about seven game, game seven series. series. Exactly. And then this one is the one where I'll pick the East because I'll pick the Bulls over the Blazers if they met in the series right now because the Blazers have just been awful. Their defense is so bad and they keep disappointing i mean right and that's something that you could you'd pick the bulls now but i think maybe at the end of the year you might end up picking the blazers if they can turn things around because like you said if the the eight seed could be the bulls it could end up being any one of the the, the pistons the hawks or the wizards you have to see if that would change depending on the matchup yeah yeah i know as of right now i'd pick the bulls if again if they were to meet in a playoff series right now at this moment, I would pick the Bulls. So even if I'm being generous, that gives it that makes it six two West. But honestly, realistically, I would pick the Warriors. So that makes it seven one West. If the if the playoff seeds were to match up right. from each conference at this moment. Mm-hmm. Being said that, I mean it's pretty clear that the West now the West you could argue the East you would argue is is more top heavy obviously because there's two great teams and then the next team is fifteen and twelve. Right. While the rest, if you take get rid of the Blazers, one through seven are all good teams and it's you know. The the four seed is only four games out of the, you know, the top seed there. That's true. So yes. I think the Easters are obviously more top heavy. And the interesting thing is that the Eastern Conference used to be known as that more like defensive conference, like a lot more mm-hmm. you know top defensive teams. While the West used to be the run and gun West, like all right. the, all, all the top offensive teams would be in the West. 
But the interesting thing is that six of the top ten teams in defensive rating are from the West. And the West is still keeping the offensive dominance because seven of the top ten offensive rating teams are also in the West. So the, yeah. it's not like it used to be where it used to be all the top offenses would be in the West and all the top defenses would be in the East. It's really more balanced. In fact, the West is on, honestly dominating in terms of like having the best teams are coming from the West. Because you would argue, you would throw in the Cavs and the Raptors, but four of the top six teams in the league, you would argue, are from the West, being the top four teams in the right. West right now. And then you throw in the Cavs and Raptors. So, right. As of right now, and I think it'll stick the rest of the season, it's pretty clear the West is, is better one through eight, and even their top teams are better than the Eastern Conference teams, and their bottom seeds are even significantly better than the Eastern Conference bottom seeds. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, it takes into something into consideration when you have a West team and you're analyzing them versus an East team. You know, is the team better than the other? Where you say they play in the West, it's a significantly better conference. Right, and two points I want to make about the comparison of the conferences is that if you actually look at the breakdown, only two teams in the East have a winning record against winning teams in the league. That's the Cavs and the Raptors. Looking at in the West, six teams have a winning record against teams that are 500 or better, which is the Warriors, Spurs, Rockets, Clippers, Jazz, and Thunder. So if you look at that, the East are playing lesser quality opponents if you're going down more teams under 500, but yet they still don't have winning records. They can't get the the victories against the teams that are actually good in the NBA, unlike teams in the West. Um, also looking, if you, you know, for moving aside from the playoff teams, if you look at the teams that are sort of struggling this year in the West and the East, if you look at the teams in the West, you, you would see, say, tend to say that they have more potential to become good teams. If you look at teams like Minnesota, Phoenix, New Orleans, Lakers, Sacramento, Denver, um, I'm not including Dallas because I don't think that, to see what they do with right, their draft. Right, exactly. Th- those are all teams that you could make an argument that in three, four years from now, they could be over 500 teams. They competing. should. They should you be. You would argue that they should. Some people pick the Wolves to be over 500 comfortably this year, and they suck. Right. Yes. And then, But if you're going to the East, aside from Philadelphia, I mean, Brooklyn, you'd have to see if they give them a couple of, They don't have the pieces there right now that, would, that you would say in three, four years they should be a winning team. Miami, again, no, aside no. from Whiteside, no. Orlando, they got young players, they but it looks like just, players, their right. management holds them back. I mean, Wizards should be a winning team. The Hawks should be a winning team. And Detroit is always around 500 or so. But those are not teams that are ready to break out and not be com- – they're not going to be competing for the top three, four seeds in five years from now. Although you could make an argument that Minnesota could be competing in three, four years. You know, Denver could be competing depending on how those players develop as well. So if you're looking at the West, it's not only better in the top in the sense that their playoff teams are better, but the – the teams that aren't in the playoffs are have more potential than the team than their counterparts in the Eastern Conference looking forward. So yeah, the West is better now, and they have a brighter future in terms of their non-playoff or their lottery teams. Right. So I think this Western Conference dominance is going to continue for the foreseeable future at least. So this is the next segment in the 94 Feet Report. It's called the Half Court Heave. And essentially, this segment will be a prediction for the next week. Sometimes the predictions will be more long-term, but usually I'm going to try and tailor them to be predictions for the week. Um, and then we'll you know, briefly discuss about the prediction we make on the show, obviously. So um, this week, I think we both have two different predictions. I'll go with mine first. Um, again, these are kind of just, these are half-court heaves, you know. Very unlikely that they're going to happen, but 
We might as well have fun and make a, a weird and wacky prediction and just see if it comes true. My prediction for this week will, that, will be that all away teams will win on Christmas Day. So that means the Celtics will beat the Knicks in New York. The Warriors will beat the Cavs in Cleveland. The Bulls will beat the Spurs in San Antonio. The Wolves will beat the Thunder in Oklahoma City. And the Clippers will beat the Lakers in L.A. Well, that's not really an away team, but still, that does count. Um, again, I mean, I'm, I'm predicting that the Celtics will win regardless. And I think the Warriors will actually win regardless. But I'm a little bit less confident on the Bulls and Wolves game. But, hey, I had to make the prediction, so I had to pick all of them to win. Um, so my, my half-court heave for the week will be that all away teams will win their games on Christmas Day. What is your uh, half-court heave and kind of explain? Um, so my my uh, half-court heave this week is that the 76ers will go 3-0 and this week. Um, they are playing New, at home versus New Orleans, at Phoenix, and at Sacramento. Um, I think that – and the games are equally separated apart. You know, they have three days between – or two or three days between each game. Um, that's partly due to the Christmas break. But I think that – these the seventy sixers have been playing better basketball of late. I think that you know these are teams that they can beat and they should beat if they want to take that next step. So I think that they're going to go three and zero this week against the Pelicans, the Suns, and the Kings. So this is our new segment on the show again. It's called Three Points because we're now we're at the three-point line. And essentially each week we will make three points about random NBA topics that, you know, um, I've either come up with on my own doing research, have seen on Twitter, have seen some articles about, some people are debating about on, on talk shows and stuff like that. So for the three-point line, we're going to be making three points each week about NBA topics. This week, the first point I would like to make is that Tom Thibodeau isn't the right coach and GM for the Timberwolves. Now, everyone was really excited about this hire, and even I was excited you know, to an extent when he was hired for the Wolves. I wanted him to be coach of the Rockets, but obviously he wanted GM control, and the Rockets weren't going to give him that. Um, you know, they seem to have made the right choice with D'Antoni, but that's besides the point. Um, but the, you know, everyone was excited about Thibodeau being the coach. You know, he's going to mold these young players into great, uh, become a great defensive team, teach them how to win. You know, they'll probably jump up to the playoffs right away. I was not that high on them. I had them missing the playoffs, but still had them, I think, at 40 wins, which they're still not on pace for. Uh, I believe they're only pace, on pace for two more wins than last year. So that's really, disappointing. really disappointing. Um, but the question, the thing with Thibodeau is that he's obviously a win now coach. Uh, this is not a guy who's coming around for a rebuild. You know, they hired him. They were like, you know, we're really young, but, you know, we're going to win. Um, but the problem is that because they gave him GM power and he's a win-now coach, we've already heard the rumors about him making win-now moves as GM, which is really worrisome because whenever you mess with a young core that's kind of been together, you you know, you never know what's going to happen to the chemistry if you were to bring in someone else. If they were to trade Zach Levine for an, an established, you know, other wing player, what does that do to their chemistry? It's very significant right. for a young team. Um, and the thing is that he's not even making his mark on the team. The Wolves are 27th in defensive rating. And Thibodeau's, you know, hallmark is being a great defensive coach. Right. And when he was hired, people were like, oh, they're going to be such a great defensive team in the in the West. They're going to grind out some victories because Thibodeau's there. It's not happening. They're really good offensively. They're top 10. But they're terrible defensively, bottom three. And the thing is that I'm kind of starting to think that the Thibodeau hire put a lot of pressure from the media and everyone picking the Wolves to make the playoffs, possibly win 50 games. I think that's putting a lot of pressure on the young players who are saying that, you know what, we got this great coach who's famous, who's known for winning, winning right now, win now mode, and everyone's picking us to make the playoffs and win 45 to 50 games. 
And now I think that that's putting pressure on guys like Towns and Wiggins and Levine and their whole young team. And I think that the, the higher is just getting messier. And I think that it will continue to get messier because if they don't win this year, which they're not going to, if they don't win next year, things are going to get really ugly and he's going to make short-sighted moves like Doc has in L.A. But the problem is the difference is that Doc has a, a team that's in its prime right. and is actually, some for some of them, past their prime. So Doc is obviously in win-now mood, win-now mode as the Clippers should be. Well, Thibodeau is rushing the win-now mode of the Timberwolves. So I think they should have gone with someone younger, um, and Thibodeau yeah. being the win-now guy is not right for the Wolves. You, you almost feel that now they would have been better off going with like a young, non-established coach who can grow with the team, yes, as yes. opposed to Thibodeau, who has had success in the league with the Bulls. And so he sort of comes, he came into the job with an idea of what he knows succeeds in a league and would try to fit players into that mold and that necessarily not their role and not their, not the system that would be best for the group of talent that he has in Minnesota. So you would have felt that like someone who doesn't, who, you know, he doesn't have a clear cut mindset of what each position needs to be and what each role needs to be on the team would have succeeded better because that way he can develop the, his offensive formula, defensive formula around the players, around the active roster, and build and build and grow with them as opposed to Thibodeau, who is sort of like, I know it works. We're gonna do, we might do it my way, and sort of risk the potential of you know having success in three, four years from now for like try to have some somewhat immediate success. Yeah, I'm just so worried about him being the GM as well because we've already heard the rumors about him wanting to get an established player to win now. Now, I think that because as the losses pile up, he'll realize, someone hopefully will tell him that this season's a lost cause. Do not trade a young guy for this season. Wait till next season, offseason yeah. draft pick because they're going to probably have a good one, especially the way they're playing, um, which would then make it, their team even younger. So I don't know. Um, but I think that... This is going to be one of those hires that was sexy when it happened. Everyone was like, oh, Thibodeau, the best name, the best market, like best coach on the market. He's going to mold that team into a great defensive team, mold those young guys into, you know, you know how they have, should have the right attitude, how they should play the game, you know. Um, there were concerns about him overplaying his players, and I don't have the minutes per game in front of me for their, you know, top, their quote-unquote big three, but I think their, their minutes are pretty high. But, again, they've been in a lot of close games. They just haven't been able to close them out, so – um, but yes, I think that in two to three years, we'll all look back on this, you know, maybe when he's fired by then and be like, you know, what? I think that they should have gone with a young, non-established coach to grow with them, connect with the young guys. Because right now, there's Thibodeau, 55, he's trying to connect to 20-year-olds. Right. I mean, you get, you get a coach like Kenny Atkinson is pretty young. Other coaches, I mean, Brad Stevens would be perfect, that kind of age group where he, right. he's, Brad Stevens, you know, you, you know he's connecting with his guys because he's not that much older than them. Or also like someone with that college background who can come and be like, almost like that continue on from the college experience to the NBA for those guys as a nice transition yeah. as opposed to Thibodeau who is known to be like a very hard you know he practices his players very hard and like there's been complaints from the Bulls and like Joakim Noah about like their injury history because of Thibodeau and the way he sort of runs his team yeah and I just think that I mean, we obviously aren't in the locker room to know how he's connecting or not connecting with the team, how he's treating them, talking with them, you know, trying to pump them up. But just from the outside looking in, it just feels like they should have gone with a younger guy who can connect with the players more and who doesn't have such a reputation and such fame as being a, a good coach who succeeded because I think I think getting Thibodeau has put pressure on their players indirectly. You know, at first they were, like, really excited, but then they were probably 
you know, these players are on social media. They read. They know that people yeah. are picking them for 50 wins, top five seed, ma making the playoffs. That puts a lot of pressure on you. They say, oh, our coach is so good. You know, we have to overplay to make sure we get the playoffs. And then that's led to some terrible losses. And people are really looking poorly on the Wolves, especially Thibodeau. His, his reputation is taking a, a hit really fast. Um, from a lot of people. And you have to consider what it's going to do to those players' like confidence levels. You know, the, Most of them are young guys. They didn't have the burden of expectation before, and now they come into it, and their first time that there's expectation placed upon them, they're not fulfilling that expectation, and the, they're sort of receiving the, that negative criticism and then the, the limelight in not the positive way, and how is that going to transform how those players develop in the NBA in the coming years? Because they're, they're going to have that first experience be quite poor. Yeah, I mean, the last thing I'm going to say is that I saw that I saw somewhere that the Wolves are actually on pace for two more wins, just two more wins than they had last year with Sam Mitchell as coach, okay? Right. Sam Mitchell isn't in the league anymore. <laughs> he was gone. that bad, all right? Let's move on to our second point of the week. It's time to accept that threes, three-pointers, can and now do correlate with wins. The top six teams in three-point percentage are all the best they have the best six records in the league. That's the Cavs, Spurs, Raptors, Rockets, Warriors, and Clippers in the order of their three-point percentage. Again, the records are different, but they're still, they still make up the best six records in the league. So, again, whenever you hear anyone like Charles Barkley saying that jump-shooting teams don't win, I don't think Barkley realizes that the Cavs are and were a jump-shooting team when they won last year. The Warriors are clearly a jump-shooting team, and they won two years ago. I mean, and now you're looking at the tops. Now, this is only the regular season, but these are still... These are the six best teams in the league, and you would think if you're going by the you know the you know the consensus finals that it's going to be Cavs Warriors. They're also in the top six teams in three point percentage, and the Cavs have increased their three point shooting in terms of attempts and makes. They've become an elite three point shooting team. The Warriors are still elite, and then the other four best teams in the league are all in the tops in three point percentage. So threes now can, and then now it's basically kind of being proven right now in this regular season. This regular season is proving that threes can and do correlate with wins. Right, and I think uh, also to build on that fact, not only are those the six best record teams, but they're also, those six teams are the six most efficient offensive teams in the league. And that's a pretty interesting fact to note that you know teams that are shooting a lot of threes, taking a lot of threes, making a lot of threes, are becoming some of the most efficient teams offensively in the NBA. Um, and something that I thought about when you brought this up is that, you know, maybe three means threes, shooting threes and taking threes means a lot more, but also maybe defense means a lot less because if you look at it, the top two of the top 10 most efficient defensive teams in the league have under 500 records. And then if you count Detroit, um, you know, and you count the Bulls at 11, they're one game over or, th or 500. Um, that makes three of the top 11 most efficient defensive teams sub-500. Like that, That's an also interesting thing to, to consider when you're talking about how offensive offense matters and also how defense matters in terms of how teams turn out in the league. Well, the consensus argument has been made that you know, you can win in the regular season just playing offense, but, you know, obviously when you come down to the playoffs, you're going to need some kind of defense. Now, the Cavs, I believe, are 16th or 17th in defensive rating, so that's, you know, below league average. Um, the Warriors are, are a really good defensive team in terms of defensive rating now um, after a really slow start. But everyone has argued, you know, oh, you know, you can win, you know, winning with offense wins, you know, regular season games. That's been the, the thing. Like, D'Antoni can win regular season games, a lot of them, because a system you can win in the regular season with an elite offense, but always right. the defense will kill you in the playoffs, if, you know, at a certain extent. Right. Um, 
And that's the problem with looking at regular season stats, especially when you're analyzing offense versus defense, because I don't believe that defense wins championships. I think that's a, just a kind of a cliche saying that you just stick to, stuck around whenever one team wins and has a little bit better defense than the other. Right. I think that it terms, it's a combination of both, obviously. Now, obviously, a team that's top five in offense and bottom five in defense is not going to win the title. But, you know, a team like the Rockets who are top three in offense and now 14th in defensive rating. These are defense and offensive ratings I'm, ta- I'm using, by the way. Um, a team like the Rockets or any team like, like the Cavs, who are a, a prohibitive favorite for the title, are right. also top three or top four in offense. And then they're below league average in defense. And yet most people are still picking them to make the finals and or win the finals. Right. So you don't need defense to win. Now, of course... A team like the Jazz, who is basically the reverse, or a team like the Grizzlies, who are top five offense, bottom five, uh, top five defense, bottom five offense, you know, those guys also don't make the finals and win championships all the time either. It's a, you need to have a nice balance. You need to be basically top 15 and above in both categories, in my opinion, to be a, t- a championship winner because those are elite teams if you're right. top 15 in both and also the skill the what you need to win changes once you enter the playoffs because typically when you're getting to the playoffs not only are the teams better but also teams are typically better defensively um around the board compared to something like if you're playing the nets versus if you're playing you know the the bulls or the pistons as the Cavs, you know the nets are a much worse defensive team than the let's say the 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 even the Pistons at the eighth seed. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say about this in terms of analyzing offense versus defense and, you know, the net, like the importance of the three-point shooting is that defense, while, yes, you need guys who can, you know, who can defend, defense is an effort thing more than a skill like three-point shooting is. So a team like the Grizzlies, they have, de- they have guys who can defend, but even when they miss players, which they have so far this season, they've actually improved their defense when they miss Conley and and Ennis and Parsons, everything, right? Because defense is an effort thing. So you get guys who come in there and try really hard on defense. They're not gonna just—they can't just get a guy who's gonna just somehow become a three-point shooter. Like right. it's very hard and very rare that someone just just becomes a three-point shooter. You're not shooter. gonna pick it up during the year. Now it's hard for someone to become an elite defender, but someone can turn into turn in a great defensive season in one season because their effort is increased and. Across the board, effort increases on defense in the playoffs. So that's what it is. But three-point shooting, you can't just get. You have to have it. It's a skill you have to have. And it's pretty much been proven in this regular season and the past two NBA championship that threes can and do correlate with wins. And now for the last of our three points this week, I have to say that the last two-minute reports need to go. Now, the argument in in favor of the last two-minute reports is Basically, that it holds the league slash the refs accountable. So the refs are kind of, you know, they know, hey, they're going to release the last two-minute report, and they could probably say this is going to be, they'll probably say it's a foul, so we should call it a foul or something like that. And it holds the league accountable by saying, hey, we, we missed this, or, you know, basically, our refs missed this. Like, sorry, guys. But that's the that's the problem with it, by saying we missed this. Sorry, guys. What does that do for anyone except frustrate players, fans, mm-hmm. coaches, executives? Right. The, ref, the refs don't even like it themselves. The, the Referees Association has been calling for the last two-minute reports to be canceled for years now. And, um, yeah, the, they just don't do anything. Like, yes, it holds them accountable. Like, the league will say, hey, we got this wrong. But that by saying that, it doesn't do anything except maybe the league feels better about themselves right. by saying we missed this. I mean – it doesn't change the call. It doesn't give the win back. Doesn't you know redo anything? It just tells them, yeah, like you were you were you were fouled. You should have got free throws. That probably would have won the game. Sorry. Yeah. Move I, on. Like there's no point. I think it's just so unnecessary, and it gets so much attention for you know you know frustrating players and fans and coaches. I mean, numerous players and coaches. Obviously, the fans have been calling for it to be abolished because it's just a, so unnecessary. I think it's kind of like an ego thing for the league. Like, 
hey, like, you know, we, we review this and we acknowledge that we made a mistake. Now we feel better about ourselves because right. we acknowledge to the fans and everyone that we made a mistake. But there's no point because it doesn't add anything back to the teams right. and players who were screwed out of the call. Right. And I, I, I agree that as it stands now, it's basically useless. I don't think it needs to go. I think that they need to add more of an accountability factor. Like, let's say if repeated, like a ref makes repeated mistakes in the final two minutes or just throughout the game, the NBA acknowledges that and the refs get put on probation. I mean, this will probably not happen because of the referee's like strong union. But I think that if you were to somehow say, okay, ref, if you make five mistakes in a period of 25 games or 20 games, like you're going to have, you're going to be, you're going to be on probation for, you know, a week or two. And if you make another mistake, you're going to have to sit out a couple of games, five, 10 games. So I think that if you just, I, as it stands now, it doesn't hold the refs accountable because it doesn't make them more likely to learn from their mistakes. It angers the fans. It angers the teams. It doesn't really do anything. But if you added accountability, the refs would be forced to go back and look and reevaluate how they make calls in going forward. Well, I would argue that that would make them kind of more kind of like, get, you know, have their whistle ready to make more calls that aren't calls. Maybe, like, or maybe they could overcall. Right, I'm, I'm it, worried about that. But they could also evaluate if it was if they called a foul that wasn't a foul, they could also be docked for that, too. They could be like marked up. They could it's just try to make them make the right calls, not not the wrong calls, either take, calling too many fouls or calling too little fouls. It's an interesting change now. That would probably make some complications because as we have seen almost every day, it seems like the last two-minute report reports a, an incorrect call or incorrect non-call, right. which means you'd have a lot of you know referees that would be punished if, if it builds up really fast. I mean, right, well, yeah. I mean, you could, but, that would be, but then you have to bring in more refs. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that makes it messy when I feel like it'd just be easier just, just to abolish it. And you know what? When people complain about the calls, like people on Twitter are like, oh, the refs, they missed that call. And then like the next day they were like, they're basically NBA agrees. Yeah, they missed the call. Don't even. There's no point in saying that. Just, right. that, that reignites the discussion. People have tried to move on, and then they reignite it a day later. It's not like it happens like immediately after because they have to review it. So I think it reignites a discussion that frustrates fans, players, coaches, etc. And it's very pointless. Even the refs don't like it. Just abolish the last two minute reports. It's just kind of an ego thing for the league that I, I'm you know starting to have a kind of an issue with because it just so seems so unnecessary for essentially no reason. And now let's move on to our, our next segment. Now it's time for something foul. Before we get into something foul, I want to remind you that we are brought to you again by Fan Essentials. It's a really great subscription service. Um, what you do is you go to fanessentials.net. You choose your sport, um, and then you choose your favorite team within that sport from you know NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL. I think they have MLS as well. And then um, you choose your favorite team. You choose your subscription size, so it's small, medium, or large, and then that dictates what size box you get. And then each month, a box of your favorite team's gear is shipped right to your door. Um, I've tried it for the Rockets. It's really cool. They give you unique gear that you really can't find anywhere else, kind of local stuff that you can't just buy on NBA store, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it's really cool. It's just shipped right to your door. It's really easy. Um, and again, if you use promo code 94FEET in all caps, you get 30% off your first subscription of Fan Essentials. So as you heard from that little drop there, this is something foul, our fifth segment, because we're now at the free throw line. And essentially this segment is going to replace what we, what our was our running segment on previous episodes, which was worst of the week. Um, so something foul, as you can probably tell from the titles, you know, someone or something or, you know, a storyline, a team, a player, an executive, etc., 
who has done wrong, you know, in the eyes of the 94 feet report and usually me because I'm usually here by myself. Um, so essentially something foul is replacing worst of the week. So something foul for me this week, it's Mark Stein. Um, so I know we have disagreed about this. Yes. Um, so I think it was on a Saturday that Mark Stein was continuing to come out with his trimester awards, you know, posts or whatever. And, uh, I guess my worst of the week isn't necessarily Stein, as in it's more of changing MVP narratives, you know, on the fly, basically, to kind of, you know, support your, your, your pick. Now, the thing is that Stein in his article, again, this is only one trimester, but the problem I have with it is that he's laying the foundation for his voting, you know, his voting patterns at the end of the year. Now, obviously, you can change, people do change, but when he went this strong into, you know, kind of convincing himself within his own article... Um, I'm kind of concerned that, or, you know, kind of confident that he's going to keep this winning, this voting pattern going. So Stein, in his article, um, he says he's voting. Right now, it's Russ as the MVP. But in the article, the problem I had was that his one of his key points was that Harden leans on, on Eric Gordon and Patrick Beverly. And this, this brought me back to 2015, um, in which case Stein voted for Steph Curry in 2015. But it's clear that Steph Curry was on the better team than James Harden was in 2015. Because right. Steph Curry was surrounded with Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Andre Goddard off the bench, you know, Steph when the Warriors were the better team, and yet he still voted for Curry. Meanwhile, Harden had basically Monty Unis as his second best player in 2015 because Dwight missed 41 games. Maybe you can argue Trevor Ariza, that doesn't really make it any sexier. So, um, so in, in my opinion, I think Harden, in, in, this, in, this kind of, in this kind of MVP climate, Harden is essentially 2015 Steph, great player on a, on a better team. And then Russ is essentially 2015 Harden. So by Stein saying he's voting for Russ this year, but he voted for Curry in 2015, he's contradicting himself kind of right there. That's, mm -hmm. in my opinion, is very hypocritical. And second of all, I just want to point it out, the funny thing, that Stein was very confident that the Thunder would be better than the Rockets this year. He had them significantly better. He had them at a 50-plus win team, and he had the Rockets barely, I think, at 41 and 41. So now, I mean, obviously that can change, and people can admit that he was wrong, but I think it, I just want to put that out as something funny because he was, like, very confident about that. And just want to add that shortly before we came on the air to record this episode, Stein came out with his power rankings. And in his, obviously, he, he sets a paragraph up for each team just to explain their ranking. In the Rockets ranking, I think they have two sentences about what they've been doing. And before he goes straight to talking about his defending his, his Westbrook pick, because he obviously saw how the backlash on right. Twitter, because Rockets Twitter is pretty aggressive, I must say. Um, so I thought that just made him even worse of the week, like Stein. Can you at least talk about the Rockets being on a 10-game winning streak and, you know, their comeback? And I'll just go straight to Russ. That added to worst of the week. And it's not only Stein. It's just people in general who are changing MVP narratives based on how they're picking. Because right. Stein is clearly trying to manipulate this race when he voted the complete opposite way in 2015. Right. And I think I made this point to you um, before off air. But I think that I said that I think that Stein was differentiating. He might be... He could he could argue he has chosen not to based on his post today um, on the Rockets uh, power ranking NBA power ranking, um, but he could have chosen to make the argument stating that this year Westbrook's stats are better than the stats that James Harden put up in 2015. I, do you you would dis you would agree with that statement, of right? And so I think that he could have easily made the argument saying yes, I div I voted for Steph Curry in 2015 over James Harden. And this year I'm voting for Russell Westbrook, not because I I I didn't I disagree with how I voted in 2015, but this year Westbrook's stats are better than the than James Harden's stats from 2015. 
I get that, but then even looking at, but then but then taking this year individually, he's voting for the player with better stats on the on the worst team in the standings. That's contradicting his voting methods. I know Russ's stats are better than Harden's were in 2015, but then but just don't even take 2015. Just look at this year, right? And then look looking at his voting pattern in 2015 and his voting pattern this year. This year he's voting for Russ the better better stats, worst team in the standings. 2015 he voted for and should have voted for Harden if he's doing this again because. Harden was the better stats, worst team, right. even though they were second in the conference, which I think is a significant thing to point out as well. He's voting for if the if let's say the standings ended today, like how they were. Rockets are three, Thunder are seven. La- in twenty fifteen, Warriors were one, Rockets were two. It was coming from you know, right. th- you know that that's significant as well. But I'm saying, look at this year individually. He's cho- he's choosing stats over standings, basically. Right, but I mean, but in his evaluate, he doesn't. He doesn't give an exact criteria to how much weight he gives to Of course to not, it. because then we would be able to specifically exactly. point right. out what so he's he, doing. So it could be possible that, yes, James, yes, the Rockets were good, and yes, Steph Curry had more help in 2015 than James Harden did, but in 26, or now the 2016-17 season, 17 award season, James Harden had more help, but Westbrook's stats were better, therefore he deserves more he he gets he earns the vote of Mark Stein because his stats were better than James Harden, so therefore his stats compared to James Harden's stats outweigh the the value of added help. But I still don't. Yes, you, you can argue that. I still don't think that the difference in statistics would 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 add up the value of being the difference in seeds, which they are or might be yeah. in terms of and 2015 it, and And to be fair, Mark Stein did not make the argument that I am presenting here for him. He just said that. He basically said that it's it's now and it doesn't just because I voted this way doesn't mean I'm going to vote that way at the end of the season. Yeah, as he, opposed that's to what he said. Yeah, this is that's not what he said in the article. That's what he said in today's power right. ranking, saying that that's, that's his defense based on the his... first trimester. Because I think he's only saying this because people were, went crazy on Twitter. I mean, I had a tweet that was retweeted 17 times and liked 18 times because I basically said he's a hypocrite. But I think he could have done that somewhere else. I think using the power rankings to not talk about the Rockets is a little right. bit you know kind of like egotistical like all right like, all right but that's enough mark stein my my something foul is cha- basically changing mvp narratives which is basically what i saw the most from mark stein but mm-hmm. i know you have something else to talk about um so now i have a, a former rocket um donatus montayunas uh he is my something foul of the week i just think that the way and i know you've talked about this a lot but i think that the way that that he and his agent went about handling the entire contract situation was gone about very poorly he's probably likely going to have to sit out most of the not the whole year um just simply because he's not going to be able to get the contract that he wants from any team now um and it basically just ruined his i, I would say very much damaged his reputation in the league it just raised a lot of questions no one wants to sit out a year especially you know you're in your younger ages so i think that he, it could have been completely avoided and yet they chose to take set out and take the most difficult path forward and now they're stuck there for at least another year. Um, so I think that Donatus Montiunas is my something foul of the week. This is, I mean, obviously I'm a Rockets fan. I write for the Dream Shake. This is one of the one of the most interesting and curious and confusing and uh, no one knows what's going on situations in NBA history, I think. Because this has been one of the, obviously he was a restricted free agent. The Rockets could not get a deal with, no one offered him anything for the Rockets to match in the offseason. Right. The Rockets could not get a separate deal done. They, they obviously offered him the qualifying offer of $4 million a year, which a lot of people argued he should have taken just to play better and get a bigger contract yeah. next season. Didn't do that. He won a long-term contract. They couldn't come up to an agreement before a deadline um, of November 23rd, in which case, even if he signed afterwards, he cannot be traded that season, which 
handicaps because Daryl Morey loves to trade at the trade deadline. And then the Nets come in along and offer him a, a kind of weird contract with a lot of incentives and stuff like that. The Rockets match. But the thing that a lot of people don't know is, or they do now because the situation is being so exposed. But at the time, a lot of people didn't know that the Rockets, by matching, they didn't have to match the weird incentives that the Nets included. They only had to match the base salary, which yeah. is only $31 million, not the 39 that was reported. That pissed off Moneyness and his agent, BJ Armstrong, who should also be included in something valid because right. this guy should be fired immediately. Yes. But anyways, so they said, oh, you know what, we're not coming because of the $6 million difference in incentives, which still is kind of ridiculous for me. I mean, he's got the contract for multiple years. You wanted the long-term deal at a pretty reasonable salary for your player in this kind of market. Just take it. Right. But there was clearly something wrong. Clearly, he said all the right things that, oh, I want to come back to Houston. I'll play for any team. Clearly, he did not want to be back in Houston because he could have if he wanted to. Right. Didn't do that. Then they throw that contract out the window and and sign him to a completely new contract that was very team-friendly because it had three team options each July for the next three seasons, which is somehow incredible. I don't know how he, Maury was able to do that to Armstrong after. Again, Armstrong should be fired. <laughs> Anyways, so then they had that contract signed, and then we're like, oh, the situation is over. He'll be rejoining the team by next week. And then two days later, they just they just let him go to unrestricted free agency because of something wrong with the physical now. Right. Because they said that they brought him in for a physical. He said he came to the arena for the physical and was told to go home. They told he was said that they were he was told by Rockets team uh, executives to go home because something was up with the physical, and then a couple of days later, they said they released a statement by saying, uh, um, after conversing with Monty Unis and his representatives and the league office, we have decided to let him go to unrestricted free agency. So that means the league had came the into the situation right. and tried to resolve it, which means there's something wrong with his back. Maybe it's completely done. But again, the, he he said that the Nets passed uh, he passed the physical the with the physical. Nets. So we don't know. What the, maybe the Nets are misleading there. I, mean, I don't know. There might be something completely wrong with his back. There's certainly something wrong with – there was certainly something wrong with him playing in Houston. And I, I don't blame him because the way the Rockets are playing, he would have been – I mean, he would have been, you know, fighting for minutes. I mean, obviously he's I, he's a better player than, you know, guys like Harrell right now. But, you know, Harrell and Decker are playing really well for their age and a lot better than people expected. So do you want to mess that up – when this was going on, the Rockets were, you know, building their 10-game winning streak. You messed that up by bringing Monty Unis in there. I mean, I was the one who said he should have been brought back and was happy when they, you know, re-signed him that he provides depth for injury just in case. Ryan Anderson, of course, can always get hurt. You know, Clint Capella has an injury right now, um, you know, stuff like that. Injury depth. And, of course, Monty Unis can shoot the three reasonably well for a seven-footer and can pass two things that Mike D'Antoni loves in a big man. So I thought it would be a perfect fit. Now I'm seeing that. I mean, obviously the depth problem is still there, but they don't need Monty They've won 10 straight games with guys like Decker and Harrell filling in for most of the roles. So, I mean, not only Monty Unis, but B.J. Armstrong has got to be some, something we foul. Something I, foul. Surprised he's still hired as an agent for Monty Unis. We don't know for how much longer, though. We exactly. Don't I mean, and I write for the Dream Check, as I mentioned, and someone, one of our staff writers wrote a winners and losers. And um, obviously Armstrong was... Armstrong and Monty Unis were both winners and losers because, you know, they, they got out of Houston but now still don't have a contract. So they're both winners and losers, I guess, if they want to look at that that way. Right. And then the loser was also the Rockets because this made them look like a, a shrewd kind of team. I mean, I see no problem with the way they handled things. I thought Monty Unis and Armstrong were more unreasonable. But there is just such a messy situation. I think the Rockets basically were like, you know what, we're just done. Just just leave us alone. Go away. We don't want to see you ever again. Please, you messed us up for like three weeks now. Right. Actually, it's been months ongoing because they've been trying to negotiate about, a contract yeah, since free, summer. Season. So that's your something foul. My something foul is changing MVP narrative. So uh, Alex, I'd like to 
thank you for joining us again on this episode of the 94 Feet Report. Just throw out where everyone can follow you on Twitter. Of course. Uh, thanks for having me. And you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Spyro1495. Um, and I look forward to coming on again sometime soon. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to have you on in the next coming weeks. Um, and just in a little bit, we'll be able to start our final segment. If you couldn't hear our Australian friend there, it's time for the and one. Um, so the and one is going to be basically a segment where each week we will um, kind of talk about something to look forward to in the next week of the NBA season. Um, so kind of a weekly what to look forward to. And we will essentially um, start the baseline of the next week by, of course, mentioning and analyzing what we talked about on the and one the previous week here on the 94 Feet Report. Obviously, with this week being Christmas included in this week, um, at the end of the week on Sunday, it's hard not to have the N1 be the Christmas Day games. Now, in terms of the actual Christmas Day game, they're not, they're not all hits. Um, obviously, we mentioned them before. We've got Celtics Knicks starting off the day, then the big juicy Cavs Warriors game. Um, then you've got, I believe it's Wolves Thunder, and then Bulls Spurs, and then Clippers Lakers. So obviously, you know, Thunder... Um, Thunder versus the Wolves isn't exactly a juicy matchup, I mean, in terms of the records of the teams, and either is Clippers-Lakers. Um, but the other, the, I mean, you got big teams playing. Celtics-Knicks is a rivalry, and both teams are um, above 500 fighting for playoff seating in the East. And as we talked about earlier in the show, the playoff, you know, seeds 3 through 11 in the East are wide open, basically. Um, so that's a big game. Obviously, that starts off the, game, that starts off the day at, at noon um, in New York. So Celtics-Knicks is a game to look forward to. Obviously, Cavs-Warriors is the juicy game to look forward to. Everyone's looking forward to how, you know, obviously it's a finals matchup. And even though these teams are in different conferences, this is essentially right now the premier rivalry in the NBA. Um, they're slated to fit, meet for a third straight time in the finals. Who knows how many more years in the future they meet in the finals as well. We want to see how the Cavs handle the new look Warriors. They've added Kevin Durant. Um, how, how Durant's addition, you know, you know, kind of changes this rivalry. And stuff like that. Uh, so that's obviously the juicy matchup everyone's looking forward to and has been looking forward to for the whole season so far because we're waiting for the Cavs-Warriors matchup. And they only meet uh, two times a year, I believe. Um, and then I think that you can argue that, you know, Minnesota versus OKC is a, is a game to look forward to because although the records are not good, especially for the Wolves, the Thunder are a good team, the Wolves are not, you still, when you want to watch a game, you want to watch for kind of some games you just watch for individual talent more than, like, the two records of the team. Now, it's not a Cavs-Warriors in the fact that both teams have great records and great players. But both, while both teams, the Wolves and the Thunder, are not great teams, they both, they, both teams surely have individual great talent. You've, you've got Russell Westbrook, which is just a must-watch every night, and then you've got the young core, which, again, the record is not good at all, but they are still playing well. And, I mean, and that Wolves lost to the Rockets on Saturday, Saturday, um, Carl Anthony Towns with like 41 points, 15 rebounds, 5 assists. Like, you're going to watch the Wolves-Thunder game uh, if you're not a fan of either team. You're going to watch that game for the individual talent. Carl Anthony Towns, Zach Levine, Andrew Wiggins, Russell Westbrook. I mean, 
Some games you just watch for the individual talent over the records. Bulls, Spurs, again, it's two big market teams, not market, but you know, famous teams. Bulls and Spurs are two of the most famous teams in the NBA. Obviously, Spurs are elite, and the Bulls are basically a 500 team right now. But that game you're still going to watch because you know it's intriguing. Uh, different conferences, you know, the Bulls have been struggling while the, the Spurs have been thriving. So you're going to watch that game, and then Clippers, Lakers. I mean, by that time at 10:30 at night. You know, you're kind of like exhausted. You've already watched enough NBA basketball. You're probably going to have that on the background or, you know, not watch it at all because it's going to be a blowout probably. But it is still the L.A. rivalry. And even though the Clippers have dominated recently, you never know. The Lakers are fun and exciting and, you know, pretty tough to beat this season. So that could change as well. Um, So that's a game to watch. So while not all games are great games in terms of team records, Every game has some kind of individual talent to watch. You know, Porzingis in the Knicks-Celtics game, um, Melo, obviously, Cavs-Warriors, obviously, is the one to watch. Wolves-OKC, you got Rust, Towns, you know, etc. Bulls-Spurs, you know, you got the three, the big three of the Wolves, you got Kawhi Leonard on the Spurs, and then obviously the Clippers-Lakers rivalry is something to watch as well, um, even with Blake Griffin being out of that game. But also the thing about Christmas Day and Christmas Day games is also... Basically, it's the time when uh, a lot of more fans start paying attention to the NBA. That's that's being more casual fans. Obviously, the hardcore fans have been paying attention since preseason or since the offseason. They never stop paying attention. But in terms of casual fans, you know, people on TV, talk show hosts, you know, First Take, Undisputed, uh, all those shows, ESPN Sports Center, you know, stuff like that. All those shows will start paying more attention to the NBA, which means it gets more coverage, more discussion, more debate more analysis, um, it just increases kind of like the circulation of the NBA. Basically, you know, people have said in the past, you know, no one pays attention to Christmas, why not just start the season on Christmas? Well, obviously the NBA is not going to do that because that cuts their revenues down. But realistically, for a majority of casual NBA fans, this Christmas Day is basically the starting point of their NBA season because they don't really pay attention to the first two months except for briefly checking the standings and the stats and, you know, going on social media. But so Christmas Day is essentially that kind of landmark where people really start focusing on the NBA and talking about it more, which obviously makes it more fun because more points of view are discussed, more you know, debates and analysis, etc. So this week's and one on the 94 Feet Report um, are the Christmas Day games. And again, we'll recap Christmas Day games in depth on next week's baseline. Um, that'll pretty much cover up the entire baseline because, you know, Christmas Day is a really big day for the NBA. So we'll cover that on next week's baseline of the show again. Um, so with that, that's going to conclude this new style show of the 94 Feet Report. Again, it is Monday, December 19th. Again, if you missed the beginning of the show, we are now going to be focusing our, on you know structuring the podcast based on the title of the, of the show, the 94 Feet Report, obviously for the 94 Feet, which is the length of the basketball court or an NBA court for that matter. So each of our segments, um, we start off with the baseline, then we go to full court press, then half court heave then three points, then something foul, and then we finish with and one. We're covering the 94 feet of an NBA court um, and structuring it that way. So this is the new structure of the show moving forward. Um, We have not made a decision on the continuation of Free Talk Friday, though I'm fully in favor of of continuing Free Talk Friday in kind of a free-flowing, casual conversation manner. But moving forward, the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast will cover what you need and want to know on the NBA on a weekly basis while running through the the 94 feet length of an NBA court. As always, we are brought to you by Fan Essentials. Use promo code 94feet at checkout and by Daily Fantasy Nerd. I am your host, as always, Eric Spropolis. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiral, so you'll get all the information for the podcast, and you can find my other work for The Dream Shake um, and NBA League, of course. So follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiral, so you can follow 
Uh, follow and find the show on Twitter and Facebook at the 94 Feet Report Basketball Podcast. Um, and we will be back on Friday for Free Talk Friday and then again next Monday for the new uh, for the next installment of our new structured show. Have a great week of watching NBA basketball and particularly enjoy Christmas Day. Take care, everyone. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.